as Ashton said. Number 284 will be the song of invitation after our lesson this morning. What a blessing it is to be here. Good to look out and see everyone present. We have visitors with us. We want to thank you for being with us today. And uh, if there are things that you see or hear that you have questions about, feel free to, to ask. So one of the members here asked me. I'll be glad to do what I can to give you a Bible answer for what we do, for what we teach, because we want to follow God's holy word. And so this morning, what we're going to be doing is turning our attention to the book of Luke, the fourth chapter, and continuing to discuss sitting at the feet of Jesus and some things that we can learn from our Lord and Savior. Certainly, if we're followers of Christ, if we're Christians, we want to follow our Lord and that we do that by listening to what he says, hearing him, and following him, doing what he says. So Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 30. It is a blessing to have the Wilsons with us this morning. Yeah, brother and sister Wilson, Mr. and Mrs. Wilson. Uh, thank you, Ashton, also for stepping up and leading singing this morning. Melvin's a little bit under the weather, so uh, keep him in your prayers. He's here, and he's... He's feeling all right. He's just a little under the weather. So anyway, thank you, Ashton, for stepping up this morning and leading us in song. Sitting at the feet of Jesus. This morning, we're going to be looking, as I said, at Luke chapter 4. And perhaps you have kind of noticed a connection in these previous lessons and this one with the book of Luke. Um, that is intentional. I'm kind of going through the book of Luke, not a verse-by-verse -verse study, but just going through the book of Luke and using some of the... Uh, stories and the parables that Luke gives us as Jesus is teaching his followers. And so this morning we're going to be looking in Luke chapter 14 and thinking about Jesus and dealing with rejection and learning some lessons in how we also can deal with rejection. Rejection is not a pleasant experience. Those who have been rejected know exactly what I'm talking about. Being rejected hurts. Being rejected is very painful, especially the greater love that we have for the one that is rejecting us. If we are truly in love with a person who rejects us, that is extremely painful. Uh, and, of course, in the world, we will face rejection. You know, in our culture today, we, we're kind of conditioning children not to be able to cope with the challenge of rejection. Because, you know, when whether they win or lose in a little t-ball game, that's all, you know, and, and I know that at five, six, seven years old, you know, that, that's no big deal. But as they're getting older and older and older and we keep that up, we kind of teach them, you know, um, everything's going to be rosy and perfect in life. You get a trophy whether you win or lose, whether you do good or you do bad, it doesn't matter. And so it's kind of conditioning kids in the wrong way, not to be able to cope with the hardships of life. And when they get into the real world, they're going to face, they're going to have an eye-opening experience. They're going to face rejection. Whether it's a job application, a school application, or maybe in their, in their personal life and, and trying to date and, and thinking about marriage, you're going to experience rejection. So rejection is very painful. Jesus knew what that felt like. In John, the first chapter, verse 11, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. That must have been painful. He came to his own people whom he loved and whom he cherished. In Matthew, chapter 23, he talks about how he would have gathered the children of Israel in Jerusalem 
under his wings like a chick would gather her hen, her, or a hen would gather her chicks. And, and they were not willing. He was rejected. Certainly that was painful for him. In John the 5th chapter, verse 43, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. You know, isn't that kind of true? Today, you have somebody come up with the cockamaniest idea you ever heard in your life. And, boy, people just love that guy because he's charismatic. He's enthusiastic. People love that fellow. They come teaching something like, you know, Scientology or something that's way off the wall. People will follow that. And Jesus comes preaching the truth and offering salvation to men, and they just rejected him and still do. In Luke 17, verse 25, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by the generation. You know what? Jesus knew that he was going to be rejected when he came here. He knew that. I think it's important also that we know and understand that we too will be rejected. In the book of Luke, the 23rd chapter, in verse 18, and they all cried out with, at once, saying, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas. Have you ever thought how Jesus felt about that? This isn't what just choosing somebody to be a leader and reject. This is this is a life or death matter. They chose a murderer, a thief, to be released. They chose him over the Savior of the world, the Lamb of God. Released to us Barabbas, who had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion made in the city and for murder. Pilate, therefore, wishing to release Jesus again, called out to them. But they shouted, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! That's the ultimate rejection. In Luke, the fourth chapter, verse 16, now Jesus had uh, come from Capernaum. Now he's entering into Nazareth, where he grew up. These people watched this young Jesus as he grew into his teens and his early 20s. They knew him. It says, so he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now this is a quote from Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. And Jesus applies this to himself. In fact, in Matthew chapter 11, when John was in prison and he sent his disciples to Jesus to ask him whether he was the Messiah, was the Christ, Jesus said, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. In other words, Jesus is saying, you see the miracles, you see the signs, you know that this is a fulfillment of what Isaiah said. Here's what Isaiah said, 
by the way. Now compare what I'm doing with what Isaiah said. That shows that I am the prophesied Messiah. It's not just take my word for it. It's here's the evidence. Here's the proof. These miracles bear witness of me. Then he closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now listen, they knew of the miracles that Jesus had done before he had come back home. They were aware of what he had done in Capernaum. They knew that Jesus had healed the blind and the sick. And he had raised the dead to life. They, they knew this. And when he says, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, so all bore witness to him. In other words, they knew him. They knew what he had done. And marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. They, they thought, this, you know, this is all sounds really good. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? In other words, now they're going back to their natural knowledge of Jesus Christ and say, we know this guy. Uh, wait a minute, he grew up among us and there's really nothing special about him. You know, that kind of fulfills prophecy too, right? Jesus was not to become in such a way that people would say, wow, look at this young... Well, of course, I know in chapter uh, 2, you know, when he went to Jerusalem with his parents and he went into the... The temple and he led them really in a study of God's word. They were all amazed at his knowledge and understanding of the scripture. But, but these people in Nazareth, they saw him grow up. And he said to them, you will surely say this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. In other words, this is a derogatory or contemptuous remark that Jesus is, is attributing to them. This is what they're going to say. And so, kind of to paraphrase it and put it in different language, he says, you can do big things in Capernaum, but you cannot do them here. You cannot deceive us because we know who you are and where you came from. And in Matthew, the 13th chapter, verses 54 through 58, that's exactly the point. He could not do great works in Nazareth because of their unbelief. They did not believe in him. That was the problem. It wasn't that Jesus was powerless. Is that their, their faith, they didn't believe in him. And so then he said, Assuredly I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. Jesus knew what they really thought about him. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut out three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none... Of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a widow, or to a woman who was a widow. Now there was this one woman that was a widow, and God sent Elijah there to preserve his life during the famine. Three years and six months this famine was on the land because of their idolatry. But Elijah was saved through this woman, and God chose this woman also to save her. This is an example of, okay... Of all the people in Israel, one widow woman benefited from the prophet Elijah during this time of great need. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet. And none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. You know what? You had to go all the way to Damascus to find somebody who had enough faith to come to Israel to find a prophet to heal him of his leprosy. There were lepers right there in Israel. They didn't go to Elisha. 
They didn't seek healing from God's prophet. Isn't that kind of odd? The people of Israel did not trust Elijah. The people of Israel did not trust Elisha. And now Jesus is saying, look, here I am. You don't trust me either. Ah, kind of pattern. I'm finding a pattern here. So all those in the synagogue, now here's their reaction to what Jesus says. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city. And they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built that they might throw him down over the cliff. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. Kind of disappeared. I don't know exactly how that happened. But it just, he went through them, and they were unable to lay hands on him and do what they wished with him. But what did they want to do? They wanted to kill him. Why? Why? Because he was fulfilling Old Testament scripture? Why? Because he said, you know, not many people are going to accept me here in my home country. I, I, you're not going to believe. Is it because they, he insulted them? No. They, they didn't believe him. Now, some quick textual observations. First of all, back up in verse 16. No, it does, it does say that this was Jesus' custom. He went to the synagogue. Um, the Jews did that. I mean, they were customarily in worship to God. They kept the feast days, and Jesus did the same thing. Just because many of them did not do it sincerely and for the right reasons and in truth, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't do them. We should. We should do them for the right reasons and according to truth. You know, we should have a custom of worship like Jesus did. That's just one little side note. Another point is we need to believe the Scriptures. They did not believe the Scriptures. Here Jesus says, here's a passage of Isaiah. This is what the prophet of God said, whom you claim to believe in. Here's what the prophet says. Here is what I'm doing. Compare them. Compare what Isaiah prophesied. And you can look at all the other prophecies too. There's some 350 prophecies in the Old Testament pertaining to Jesus Christ. He fulfilled every one of them. And so you've got all of these prophecies in the Old Testament bearing witness to who Jesus is. He's performing these miracles that cannot be denied. In fact, they didn't deny them. They couldn't deny them. All that they could do is attribute them to Beelzebub. That's all they could do. Because their hardness of heart would not allow them to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So therefore they rejected the scripture. Kind of like in John chapter 5. When Jesus says that Moses wrote about me. If you would have believed Moses, you would believe in me. They didn't believe in Jesus because they did not believe in Moses. You know what? They claimed to. They professed to believe Moses. We got a lot of folks today who profess to believe the scriptures. That doesn't make it so. Most will not seek God's salvation. Now here's another sobering fact. Of all those people in Israel, how many of them sought out Elijah for preservation and salvation during the times of famine? During the time of sickness, of leprosy, how many of those lepers went to Elisha to find salvation? And even in the days of Christ, how many people came to Jesus looking for salvation? Actually, there were a lot. But you know what? They dwindled down as time went by. And in fact, as you go to John chapter 6... Jesus turns to his apostles, to his disciples, and he says to them, Will you also go away? Because everyone turned away from following him. It was just them. That's all that was left. And as he went to the cross, every, even they forsook him. Most will not seek God's salvation God's way. 
Most will not do what God demands they do in order to receive this gift of salvation. We want it our way or no way at all. Many reject the truth speaker. You know, the truth speaker and the one who tells the truth, the Word of God, who preaches it and is faithful to it, they're not going to have overflowing crowds. I'm sorry, they're not. And there's a reason for that. It's not because that preacher is not good enough. It's not because that preacher is not charismatic enough. It's because that preacher preaches the truth. The preacher who preaches the truth is the one that's going to have the small crowds. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the truth. There's a reason why Joel Osteen's crowd is so huge. He doesn't tell them the truth. That's why. He tells them what they want to hear. He tells them how to have their best life now. He tells them how to get wealthy and, and, and live healthy and you know, do the things that will bring financial success and gain. That's what people are looking for. They're not looking for the salvation from their sins that can only be found in Jesus Christ by conforming their wills and their lives to the truth of Christ and truly following after Him, which includes suffering and hardship in this life. That's something that people aren't breaking down the doors to receive. Why do people reject Jesus. You know, looking back, hindsight we say is 2020. Looking back, we wonder sometimes, how could the Jews not see it? I mean, they had him right in front of them, right? He was performing all of these miracles. How could they not see that he was the prophesied, promised Messiah? Were they nuts? Were they crazy? What was wrong with these people? Not only did they reject him, they had him murdered. They found false witnesses to testify falsely against him so that they could have him murdered. Why? What was wrong with these people? Were they just atheists? No. They were religious people. They professed belief in God Almighty. They professed to be following God's chosen prophet Moses. They professed to be followers of God and adherence to His law. In fact, they even used God's law by twisting it. They didn't use the law itself, but they twisted the law to justify themselves in doing what they did to Jesus. Oh, they were very religious people. You know, sometimes I, I wonder, what if Jesus came today? What if He appeared today? And the Christian world, if you will, put that in quotes, as it is, how many of these people would accept Jesus today if they saw him? If they heard him preach? Would they accept him? Would things be any different? Would most embrace him? Would most believe in him? And those who profess to follow him today, would they continue to follow him when he began to talk about their false doctrine? When he straightened them out on their plan of salvation. You know, Jesus, just suppose that Jesus comes to one of these big gatherings somewhere where all these people are coming. Just Joel Osteen's place. He comes in and he's giving them a microphone. And he begins to tell people, you know, all this stuff that Joel's been telling you, this isn't what my will, this isn't the way of salvation. This, is, this has nothing to do with a Christian life. 
If you're going to follow me, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. You have to suffer for my name's sake. You have to live a holy life. You have to obey my words. You have to trust me to the extent that you will do anything I say, regardless of the temporal consequences you may face. I wonder how many of those people would follow Jesus or say, Ah, give us Joel Osteen back. We like him better. Sadly, I'm afraid that most people, they would reject him. Again, because Jesus is not what most people really want. Not the real Jesus. We have fabricated a Jesus that fits our desires. We have made a Jesus that's so full of grace that our sins are accepted by Him. That we can live any way that we want and we're still going into heaven. We can follow any teaching, any... It doesn't... Truth doesn't matter. Jesus is just all-encompassing love that it doesn't make any difference what we believe, how we live. That is the Jesus that is constructed today, mostly, in the so-called Christian world. But that's not the Jesus of the Bible. Jesus often disagreed with the orthodox interpretation and application of Scripture. You know, Matthew chapter 5 through 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus constantly is heard saying, you have heard it said, and he's referring to the rabbinical teachings of the law. And Jesus is really correcting their false notions with the truth. When he says, but I say to you. In Matthew chapter 12, his disciples were criticized because they, as they were going through a grain field, they were taking some of the heads of grain off and rubbing them and putting them in their mouth and chewing on them. And the Jewish leadership demanded Jesus do something about it. This is a Sabbath day. And here they are, they're breaking the Sabbath. First of all, they didn't know what they were talking about. They were not breaking the Sabbath. So Jesus uses an example, an illustration of David. Oh, they revered David. David is a great prophet of God. Our great king. And David did something that was not according to the law when he was on the run from Saul. He went into the to a synagogue and he took some of the unleavened bread, the bread that, the, that was taken off of the table of showbread. It had already been used, but it was only for the priest. But that's all that they had, so the priest gave David that, and they ate it, which was against the Scripture. Now, the Jews wouldn't condemn David for doing that, but they would, on the contrary, condemn Jesus' disciples for doing something that wasn't a violation of the law. Hypocrisy is the point Jesus is making to these people. In the 19th chapter, verses 3 through 9, Jesus' question about marriage. Is it lawful to divorce your wife for any cause? And Jesus' response is, have you not read? In the beginning, God made male and female. And what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. For Jesus, that settles it. And it ought to settle it for all of us. But then they say, well, what about Deuteronomy 24? What about Moses commanding to give this writing of divorcement? There are brethren today who are teaching that if you write a bill of divorcement, then that's fine. That's, you know, you're free. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, no, 
Moses did that, gave you that because of the hardness of your heart. In other words, your unwillingness to do God's will and follow his commandments. So in the theocracy that existed, there was a, a civil decree allowed or permitted. But from the beginning, it was not so, Jesus says. And I say to you that whoever puts away his wife except to be for fornication and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her that is put away commits adultery. Jesus, people need to listen to Jesus. Wouldn't you agree? But most people don't want to. Jesus often disagreed with the orthodox interpretation and application of Scripture. Then, and he would disagree with much of the interpretation and application of Scripture today. Jesus threatened the temple system. In John chapter 9 is a good illustration of this. There was a man that was healed of blindness. And so the Sanhedrin court called him in to appear before them. And this man comes in and they drill him about whether he was really the man that was blind before or not. They, they accuse him of just flat out lying about being healed. So they call in his parents and his parents had to testify, yes, this is our son. How he got to see, we don't know, but this is our son. So they demanded that the man tell them who healed him. Well, it was Jesus. Why did they resist Jesus so much? Could it be that Jesus threatened their authority? Jesus threatened their control over the people? Could it be that Jesus threatened their religious system as a whole? Now, I'll say to you, that's very true. That's exactly why Caiaphas prophesied that, you know, Jesus needed to be killed because he's going to, he's going to cause Rome to come down on our heads and have us destroyed and take away our, our authority and our position. Yeah. When Jesus went into the temple and he began to overthrow the tables of the money changers and accused them of turning the house of the Lord into a den of thieves, that threatened their system. And you know what? Jesus would threaten the ecclesiastical systems of our day. He would threaten the ecclesiastical system of the Catholic Church. He would threaten the ecclesiastical system of denominationalism. He would threaten all of that. He was merciful. Jesus was very merciful. And you know what? People got mad at him because he ate with sinners. In John and the 8th chapter, verses 1 through 11, the woman who was taken in adultery was brought to him, and they demanded that Jesus you know, pronounce a verdict upon her. Of course, that wasn't his place. But when he resorted to, script, you know, to Scripture and saying, well, where's the man? When, when he said, oh, who among you is without sin? Let him cast the first stone. That got to their conscience. That pricked their conscience. And he then turns to the woman after they all turn and leave. He says, is there no one left to condemn you? Now, if she committed adultery, then the man and her were to be taken before the Sanhedrin. And according to the law, they were to be stoned to death. Jesus was not setting aside the law here. He's simply you know, pointing out, and there were no men who could justly condemn her because they did not have the evidence to do so. And so he said to her, go and sin no more. Go sin no more. God and Christ are merciful. 
It, they're forgiving. Jesus Christ came to die so that we could be forgiven of our sins. But he demands obedience. He demands us to turn to him and follow him by faith. Take up your cross and follow me. So, many will reject us. Just like they rejected Jesus. When we speak as the oracles of God, people will reject us. When we stand upon what the Bible says regarding the plan of salvation, they will call us Pharisees. Because we teach that in order to be saved, you have to confess that Jesus is Lord. Yes, they'll agree you have to believe. They'll, they'll agree with that, although they need to understand what belief means. But they'll agree, yes, you have to believe. But what about confession? What about repentance? And what about baptism? It seems like baptism is the place that most people will say, whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute. No, that can't be for salvation. Why not? If Jesus said to, if Jesus commands it, if Jesus said, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved, are we not to believe him? But when we say that and we quote Jesus, they'll accuse us of being heretical, of teaching justification by works of the law, which we don't do. To accuse us of teaching baptismal regeneration, which we don't. But it is in baptism in which God forgives us of our sins, Colossians 2, 11, 12, or through 13. So when we teach the true biblical teaching of salvation, the plan of salvation, most people will reject us. Or the true biblical teaching on worship. We are to worship in spirit and in truth. Spirit and in truth. Spirit, that refers to the nature of our worship, not merely to the attitude with which we worship. The idea that Jesus is conveying in John chapter 4 and verse 24 is a contrast between the system under the new covenant and the system of the old covenant. The system of the old covenant said this mountain, Jerusalem, this temple, Jerusalem, this altar, Jerusalem. That's what the old covenant law dictated. And the the system associated with the temple, with the fleshly priest, and the burning of incense, and all of those things, contrasting that with the new covenant of worship, which is spiritual in nature. You know, we can argue about instrumental music. You know, why do we not use instrumental music? We say, well, the Bible is silent about that. That's true. We say there's no authority for that in the New Testament. That is true. We can say for the first almost 1,200 years of history, there were no musical instruments used by those who professed to be followers of Christ, except once when, when it was introduced, they shut it down quickly and called him a heretic, the guy that tried to introduce it. For almost 1,200 years, we can point that out. But let me tell you something. The most important principle is that we are worshiping under a system that is spiritual. And we are to worship him with our hearts. And with what God has given us, our voice. Not with what we make. And not with what we do with our hands. Not carnal worship. But spiritual worship. But we could talk about that. Oh, well, the Lord's Supper. Jesus said, do it. We need to do it. And many people will balk at that. Say, that's legalistic. 
That's legalistic. Oh, I hear that a lot. That's legalistic. You know what that term is thrown out there? I'll tell you who uses that term against those who try to follow God's word. We're trying to do what God says. They call us legalistic because they don't want to do what God says. That's why. Legalism is a term that is used by people who do not want to obey God, typically. It's not being legalistic to, by faith, want to serve our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who died for us. To follow His Word. That's not being legalistic. That's loving Jesus, my friend. That's trusting Jesus. True biblical teaching on the church of Christ. People will reject us when we say, there's only one church. They laugh at that. The Bible says, Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church. It's his. In Acts 2 and verse 47, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. His church, not somebody else's. In Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, Jesus is the head of the church, which is his body. His church, one body, one church. In Ephesians 4 and verse 4, one body, which is the church. Ephesians 5, 23 through 27, Jesus loved the church. He gave himself for her to cleanse her. He is the head of the church and savior of the body. One church. The church is made up of the people who follow Jesus Christ Actually, not merely professedly. Whoever follows Jesus is in his church. And whoever follows Jesus in a certain location and assembled together, they are an assembly of the Lord's people. Plain and simple. But when you talk about that and talk against denominationalism, people get all up in the air about that. And you're the bad guy. The true biblical teaching on immorality and ungodly behavior. You stand up against homosexuality. You are a bad guy in today's society. Well, how much worse if you stand up against adultery and against premarital sex? Everybody does that. My friend, it's wrong. It will condemn your soul to hell. It is a sin. Marriage is honorable in all, in the bed undefiled. But fornicators and whoremongers, God will judge. Hebrews 13, 4. You, talk, you start talking about things that are sinful and people, well, don't be judging me. You'll be rejected for standing up for the truth. In Matthew, the 10th chapter, in verses 16 through 42, okay, I'm, I'm just going to read through this. And we're going to bring our lesson to a close. But how do we deal with rejection? We're going to be rejected. Okay, we've established that point. Why are we rejected? We've established some of those points. We could talk a lot more about that. But in Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 through 42, Jesus tells us, instructs us, how to deal with our rejection. Beginning in verse 16, Behold, I send you out of sheep in the midst of wolves, Therefore, be as wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Don't go looking for trouble. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You'll be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. 
But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak, for it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of the Father who speaks in you. Now let me say, we don't have the Holy Spirit directly guiding us directly, inspiring us directly, but we do have the writings that the Holy Spirit gave the apostles so that we can know what the truth is and we can know how to answer people according to God's Word. So no, we're not the apostles, and so this does not directly apply to us, but in, in application we can make that connection. He says then in verse 21, Now brother will deliver up brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. That's rejection. But he who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For surely I say to you, you will not, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Quickly to flee to another city. It doesn't mean, okay, just run and hide. Okay, you preach the gospel in this city, they reject you. Flee to another city and do what? Preach some more, right? Keep on preaching. And you're going to keep on doing this, but you will not have covered all of Israel until the Son of Man comes. This is coming in His kingdom. Not the second coming, not the coming of judgment on Jerusalem. This is His coming in His kingdom in Acts chapter 2. That's the only thing that fits because they had not completed this preaching throughout, the, throughout Israel. Before the judgment of Jerusalem came, the gospel had been preached to all the world, according to Colossians 1, verse 5 and Colossians 1, 23. So, okay. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Follow Jesus. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who will kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Don't be afraid of what people do to you because of your faith in Christ. Be more fearful of God and what, you will, what He will do if you don't keep your faith in Christ. Follow Jesus regardless. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father's will? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. God cares about you. He cares about your pain and your suffering. And what He's done is provided salvation for you and a great reward for you if you are but faithful to Him. Verse 31. Do not fear, therefore. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. Now this confession is made in fear of death. In the face of persecution. You confess Him when people are against you. Confess Him anyway. But whoever denies me before men in the face of that persecution, Him I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. 
And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. The cross is an emblem of death and suffering. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. So there is reward and blessing for supporting and encouraging those who teach and preach the truth who are faithful to the Lord. But there will be persecutions. There will be sufferings. And there are people out there who are unbelievers, so don't go looking for trouble. Be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. We are not to worry about what men may do to us. God cares. God is concerned. And God will reward you not only openly, but eternally. So there is no such thing as a temporary trial, a temporary hardship, a temporary persecution, a temporary death that is worth forfeiting your eternal salvation over. There is not a temporal joy or pleasure worth suffering or sacrificing your eternal salvation over. God knows and cares for you. We must endure. Keep trusting and following Jesus. Fear God, not men. You know, when you begin to think about uh, evangelism, personal, talking to people about the Lord and about the Lord's church and about the truth, if we fear God enough and love God enough and love our neighbor enough who is lost, we're going to, regardless of being rejected. Yes, to preach the truth means we're going to be rejected. Expect it. Expect to be rejected by people you care about. A man's enemies will be those of his own household. Love the Lord enough to follow him regardless of the material cost. And if we are rejected for following Jesus, understand this. They're not rejecting you. They're not rejecting me. But in fact, they are rejecting Jesus. If we're following Jesus and if we are sharing the truth of God's word. It's got to be the truth. And we have to truly be following Jesus. But if that's the case, then they're not rejecting us. They are actually rejecting Jesus. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. You know, when Cain offered his sacrifice in Genesis chapter 4, God rejected that. God rejected Cain's worship. He accepted Abel's worship. Cain became angry. Why? Of course, God said to Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? My friends, let us not be angry if we are rejected for doing wrong. But instead, here's the thing. If anyone suffers as a Christian, as someone faithful, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Abel suffered physically, temporally, for his faithfulness. His brother killed him. Abel's faith lives on. Abel testifies 
to faithfulness and the benefits of it. His blood still speaks, right? According to Hebrews chapter 11. Therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing good as to a faithful Creator. Let us learn to suffer. Let us learn to accept rejection from the world uh, so that, and be faithful to the Lord so that we may be pleasing to the Lord. If we are serving the Lord, great. If we suffer for it, that's okay. Let us continue suffering for the Lord. That's what it takes. Because we have an eternal reward awaiting for us in heaven. But if you shy away from the Lord, and you reject Him and refuse to confess Him before men, and you fear men more than you fear God, and you are more afraid of men's rejection of you than God's rejection of you, my friend, you have traded, you have traded a temporary well-being for an eternal well-being. And instead you will receive eternal loss. That's up to you. What about you this morning? Are, are, are you in a position where you can say that, yes, I'm accepted by God, I'm serving God, I'm faithful to God? Maybe you are going through hardships and suffering. I hope that you, we can encourage you to keep on keeping on. Be faithful to the Lord, regardless of the cost in this life. You be faithful to the Lord because I promise you it will be worth it. I promise. But if you haven't, if you haven't obeyed the gospel and you're not faithful to the Lord today, we want you to get that way. If you've never been baptized into Christ, why not now? Be raised to walk in newness of life. Yes, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to promise you a bed of roses. It's going to be difficult, but it will definitely be worth it. If you need to be baptized, if you need to make confession in your life, if there's sin in your life that you need to confess, let us help you get right with God, whatever your need may be, as together we stand and while we sing.